Hey, what's up, good people? Jason Brown here, stock market coach and option trader at thebrownreport.com. And welcome to another special edition of the podcast. It's a Money Monday episode. Again, we're in this series with my good friend, Kat Alfred. So this is episode number two. And we sat down live, well, virtually live, and we're breaking down what fuels our fire to be in the financial industry. We're talking about legacy, what we hope to um, leave to our kids, to our family. And we're breaking down a whole lot of things that most people probably don't think about, especially like what happens after you're gone with respect to your money and what you're teaching and what you're leaving behind. So let's dive into this live previously recorded episode of the Money Markets and Mindset podcast. You're listening to the Money Markets and Mindset podcast where it's all about learning how to have your money work hard for you instead of you working hard for it. And now your host, stock market coach and options trader, Jason Brown. It's Monday. Not only right. is it Monday, it's Money Monday. <laughs> it's the best day of the week, I think. I love Mondays. <laughs> Absolutely. I love Mondays too because the market is open. So it's like, you know, we back to it to see what's going on with the stock market. We got Money Mondays. Then I got the 8 p.m. webinar for members inside of Power Trades University. So Mondays is a good day. Most people don't like Mondays, but not us, right? No, it's a fresh start to the week. I feel like Monday is day one of my week every time. And I love kind of like clearing the whole schedule and like starting new on a Monday. It's Monday is full of promise, I think. <laughs> I like that. Full of promise. <laughs> so that's that what hasn't gotten messed up yet. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's a good point, right? You got like six more days for it to go wrong. But today we're kicking it <laughs> off right. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. So, guys, if you are new to the channel, welcome. I'm Jason Brown, stock market coach and options trader. And we got my good friend, Kat Alford, who's a financial educator, author, uh, speaker, you name it, just an all around good person. And we're live. We're kicking off Money Mondays. And we're, you know, last week, what did we talk about last week, Kat? Bring the people up to speed. Who is, you know, case that wasn't here. We introduced ourselves and we talked a lot about how we both became self employed entrepreneurs. We sort of talked about uh, when both of us used to be broke and, uh, and what the transformation's been like. And I'm gosh, still, I'm still broke. I don't, I don't want nobody suing me. I'm still broke. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so this week we were talking about kicking it off about like, like why, like why would we go through or why would anybody for that matter, but we're going to share our stories. Why would anybody go through the trouble of being like financially independent, building their own business, getting out of debt? And, and we're like, well, why? Like, what are the why? So I know we were going to dive into that. And then I had a couple other topics on my mind. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see where this thing goes. So I'm, uh, is this like volleyball? Like, I'm going to serve it to you. Like, oh, <laughs> so share with me, like, why? Why should people be? Why should people even care? Because they could be doing a lot right now. I mean, maybe they're still laid off work because of the pandemic and they're able to jump on live. But they could be eating lunch. They could be. Um, streaming Netflix, they be doing a lot of different things. Why? Why log on? Hear us talk about money. Why go on this financial journey? Why go through putting yourself through the discipline of getting out of debt, not buying things you want, trying to get rich? Why do it? I mean, I think I can only really speak for for myself, but oh. I think for me, it comes down to one thing, and that's personal freedom. And I've always been just very independent, even as a child. And when I used to work at various different jobs, I, I just, I craved being able to make my own rules. And for me, it's being able to wake up every day and decide how my day goes and not have someone tell me what I have to do or what I have to turn in. And that takes a lot of self-discipline. There's pros and cons to it. But for me, it's all about personal freedom. And that's for money too, right? The more money you have, the more wealth you build, the more freedom you're able to give to yourself and your family. 
And especially at times like this really highlight the need to have that personal freedom and financial freedom. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you said something, you said, you know, some freedom, then you said, but it's for money. And what I think is, <laughs> what, I think, right, what I think is interesting though, is you, you get the people who say like money isn't everything. And I should have, I had a different shirt on before we started. And I think the shirt, uh, the shirt said like, Money can't buy everything, but no money can't buy anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and when you think about freedom, right, people are like, why is money so important? But it's, it is what allows you your freedom, right? Because it dictates where you can live, dictates where you can shop, it dictates what car you can drive, it dictates, like you said, if you have to answer um, to somebody or not. And to some degree, we all have to answer to somebody, right? We got to obey the laws of the land. But if we break those laws, <laughs> the ones yeah. with the money have the resources to even hire someone to help get them, you know, out of jail for, you know, or at least a lesser charge. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And yeah, I mean, you really, it would be difficult to achieve personal freedom without also achieving financial freedom. I suppose you could get personal freedom without financial freedom if you wanted to like live off the grid somewhere, you know, but then if that's your goal, then you're probably not watching this right now because. <laughs> right. Cause we're, we're definitely not going off the grid here, guys. I can't hack that. So I'm going to go for the financial freedom <laughs> to get to the personal freedom. No disrespect to the Amish, but we're not living that Amish life. We like internet. We like credit cards. <laughs> we like cameras, right? Electricity. <laughs> No, but so, so, so let's, talk, let's, let's dive into like specifically some whys. Cause I was thinking about my why before we, you know, we was like, let's, let's talk to people about why and why our why has to be strong. And I was thinking about my why, why, why go through like trying to be in the space, teach, learn the stock market, lose money, make money, lose it, pay taxes. And part of my why was like, legacy because we came we came from not much you know we came from a lot of love but we didn't come from a lot of financial means we didn't have a big house we didn't have a fancy car we well but we had love but there definitely was this missing money component and so i remember hearing this one time at like a network marketing meeting i was at and it really stuck with me and one of the presenters said it only took one Gates, meaning one Bill Gates. It only took one Ford, owners of Ford Motor Company. It only took one Rockefeller who started, founded Standard Oil. He basically went down this list and said it only took one person in their family to like draw a line in the sand and say like, this is it. Like our family's going to live different from here on out. And the presenter then turned and asked him, which I'll, you know, I'll ask our listeners, you know, something to think about is like, who is it in your family that's going to draw the line in the sand and say, like, the brokenness stop, stops with me, the financial illiteracy stops with me, not knowing how to handle credit cards or money stops with me. And and really, that was like part of my big why. I was just like, well, I look back 20, 30, 40 years from now and like pass the torch of brokenness, pass the torch of like writing a check and open it don't bounce <laughs> Or like, well, I pass the torch and be like, they be like, you know, when my kids and their kids, assuming if they have kids, like when their kids say like, how did your family like get to where they're at today? Like, it's going to be so cool for them to go like my great grandfather. I remember this guy always was talking about stocks. He started some videos on YouTube. He started a university for, for online education. Like, it's going to be so cool to look back at the current age, me, 30, 40 years from now and know that, like, I took the steps to make a difference, like, for my family on down. So that was one of my big whys of, like, let's get through the pain. Let's get through everything that we got to get through to figure this out so that I can see what it's like for my kids to start off not trying to claw their way out of debt. But they start off with an investment account. They start off knowing how money works. So they're not starting behind the ball. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I have a question about that because one of the statistics or one of the things that I hear that's a little alarming is that wealth 
rarely lasts beyond three generations. And what does it take to make wealth go longer? And I think the answer is education. But for my husband and I, and, and hearing your story, it took a lot of grit to like build this business. It took a lot of grit for him to like get all the way through medical school and residency. But when your children are born into a lot of privilege and they have an amazing education and everything provided for them, how can you like teach? Grit is very hard to teach. And then they have to have the money lesson on top of that because you don't want them to squander it either. And so all of us want to make their life like really cushion nice. You know, we want to treat them well. But at the same time, you're like, wait a second, <laughs> pick up your stuff, you know? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Just curious how you're handling that and how you, I know your kids are littler than mine, but um, how you plan to teach them. So I think, you know, obviously this is new for 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 our family, so to speak, and new like we don't we both don't have grown kids that we've raised. And so here's what we tried or did. So it's definitely gonna take a lot of study, a lot of research. But one of the things that one thing that I find to be true, no matter how much money you have or don't have, there is something about building a family culture or a family heritage to where each generation is also proud of like, I don't want to let my parents down. I don't want to like, this is what we do in this family. We handle money. Like, or this is what you ever see like a family that plays tennis. It's like when the kids come out, they might not want to play tennis, but it's been such a culture ingrained in that family. They're like, no, we, we play in tennis. Like I'm going to, I'm going to at least give it a shot. I'm going to practice. Cause like my family plays tennis or whatever the case may be. And so I think the real question for me is how do you build a culture of winning in your family? Where like your kids, like it's not cool to be a loser in this area of our life financially. Right. And not, not, not that that's the only thing, right. You know, you want them to be grounded spiritually in their relationships with other people. There's other things, but you know, right now we're talking about money. I think the real key is how do you build that culture of winning? Cause I've also seen, I've also seen what a culture of losing does. I've seen people have stuff lined up, but because there's a culture of losing, they do something on purpose to blow it and to be like, yeah, it's See? like self-sabotage. Yeah, it's like I knew I would blow it up. So so that's that's probably without getting to the microscopic, because I don't know the microscopic yet. This yeah. is all new, but I think big picture, my focus is how do I build a culture of winning to where my family and my kids are like now I want to take the ball granddad pass or dad pass and I want to take it further. further. And then I want their kids to be like, no, I want to take the ball and take it even further. And so that's really how I see this thing. Like, how do you develop a culture of winning? By the way, if you're alive, I'd love to hear your comments as well. Like, how do you and we'll pop them up on the screen. Like, how do you plan to keep your kids or your legacy alive and grounded, assuming you make some money. While they're getting ready to comment, just type a comment on the screen, we'll look and we'll pop them up. Kat, what's your thoughts on that? Like, about keeping yeah, your I kids love that grounded. you said don't quit, because one of our family mottos is Alford's don't quit. And I mean, I just used it yesterday in the pool, because my twins were racing, swimming, and one of them just kept being mad that they weren't winning and they would just stop in the middle of the pool. And so I'm like pushing them to the end of the pool. I'm like, Alfreds don't quit. You know, you might lose this race, but at least you're not a quitter. Right. And when I was going through my book deal process, I involved my kids because it took me a lot longer than the average author to get a book deal. It took me four and a half years and my kids are six. And so I would tell them, Somebody, mommy sent her book to somebody to try to put it in the bookstore, but they told her no again, but Alfords don't quit. And so I would just keep telling them and then, and then it's kind of, they kind of sunk in and then they'd ask, Hey, did anyone say yes to your book yet? I'm like, not yet. Someone else said no yesterday. And so finally one day I picked them up from school and I was so excited to tell them like, guess what? Mommy sent it to her 28th person. And they said, yes, mommy's going to have a book in the bookstore. And they were like, yay, mom. I'm like, did mommy quit? Like, no. So, wow. I mean, you have to, de- 
I mean, I'm my concern is developing grit in kids who have a much better starting line, but then maybe just in the daily conversations, it comes out. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's all I can say is wow for a second. Cause <laughs> like, no, I, th- I think people need to make sure it sinks in. Like, if you if you did quit after time number three, how different would your story be to your kid? You couldn't say Alfred's gonna quit. You'd be like, Alfred, sometimes we quit when it gets hard. I mean, just think how powerful or how weak the statement becomes dependent on the decision you make. Like the statement is so strong. I sent my book to the 28th person and they said yes. Could you imagine if you said, I sent it to three people, this some BS, they got something against women, you know, you went down this whole rabbit hole, right? And so now, instead of your kids growing up with the Alfreds don't quit chip on their shoulder, because you got a son and a daughter. The daughter grows up with, they don't like women. The son grows up with, you know, mommy wasn't good enough. Well, three times, that's about it. If it don't work by time number three, I'm done. So I just think, wow, look how powerful that is. Because what happens is when you're going through it, it don't seem like you're writing a powerful story. No. <laughs> right? You're like. In fact, they were good accountability because I was almost telling them on purpose. And then they got, you know, age four, age five. Then they started to ask. So. Of course, I wanted to quit many, many, many times. This is a really long process to go through, but they were my accountability in a way. But that's kind of what you're saying, right? Is that's a family culture in the making because maybe one day I'm they're accountable to me and what we expect out of them. Absolutely. Or even more importantly, because we all will leave this earth someday. How about they pick up that that grit, that grind, and they're accountable to each other, right? Yeah brother accountable to sister, sister accountable to brother. And so just by you keep going and making them your, I mean, now you're like, you're almost two, three levels of greatness or lessons deep that you're teaching them. Now it's not just about quitting. It's about us being accountable to each other. Right. And so, man, that's just, um, that's so powerful. I think that's so powerful for everybody to understand. Like your, your, your breakthrough while you're going through it, doesn't seem like you're going to have a breakthrough, but if you choose to stop at the breakdown, right, you'll never get that breakthrough. You'll never get that lesson. And when you think about anybody who's done anything great, the story never goes. The first car the Fords created was the best car ever. Right. The (laughs) first light bulb, it was just ding, it lit up. Yeah. That first computer, man, they never touched it again. I right. know. And, and and even in your story, look how many times going back three times, right? I mean, that's... I had to move back home three times and it sucked every time. But when you go through it, it's not till you get to the other side that you're like... And I think that's the mindset. Even for, forget about getting to the other side. People who are in the thick of it right now, you have to understand you are writing your story. People always say, how do I get through this tough time? How do I make it through when I want to give up? That is it. You have to think once this is over, I'm going to have a hell of a book to write. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is going to make a really great interview. This is going to make a really good conversation when I sit down with my kids or my grandkids 20 years from now. And if you think about it like that, you'd be like, I must keep going. I must keep going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think multi-generational wealth and stories and lessons and culture is a much bigger why. I think a lot of people are like, why do you want to be on this financial journey? And a lot of, uh, because a lot of my community is women, they'll say, my kids, I want to do it for my kids. But I think what we're trying to encourage people to think, go way bigger. Like, it's big to you now, but just 10 exit. It's not just the kids, it's it's people that are going to be part of your lineage along after you're gone. And what lessons can you teach them that are that stick so much and are so powerful? They, they go on. Absolutely. And, and when you think about when you think about like people saying, like, why should I be on this journey? 
not not no disrespect to any other journeys in life, but I sometimes feel like, is there any other journey to be on? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, think about it. I want to like, let's dissect this for a second. People be like, well, you should be on a spiritual journey. I agree. But do you know how good it feels when I'm able to cut the big checks to my church? I'm not saying that it don't. It's, you know, they pass the plate around. You put a dollar in, right? Because I'm an amateur on the Bible. But there was a story in the Bible that said there was all these guys that gave a thousand, ten thousand. And then a, a young lady came up and she put one penny in the collection plate. And like one of the disciples says one penny or two pennies. And, and Jesus said that lady gave more than everybody in here. And they said, what do you mean? She only gave two pennies. And he said, but those two pennies represented everything she had. Right. So I, I, I'm saying that to say the pennies count. But sure. oh, boy, when you able to scratch the 10, the 20, the 30 to your favorite charity, to your, your, your school, to help somebody out. Oh, my God, just magnify the feeling you got from giving your all when you had two pennies, right? When you really could, could cash some checks and help some people. And so you think about weight loss. You say, oh, well, I want to be on this fitness journey. Money's not everything. But, oh, my goodness, when I listen to Kobe Bryant, you know, God rest his soul, when I listen to LeBron James, they did an interview. I think LeBron, don't don't quote me on this. I know they say like 90% of statistics are made up on the spot. I don't remember the exact number, so I'm going to give a range. I think they said he spent between one and three million on his personal health. What that means is private cook, private chef, personal trainer, personal chiropractor, like in between, anywhere between one to three million on his health. You, you, you hear me? Some, some people I, are like, how much is the gym membership? I'm a big sure? believer in that. <laughs> I know. And, and the more that you have, the better food that you can buy and the more services that you can get to help you with that type of thing. You're not sitting there like, oh, this arm really hurts, but I really don't want to go to the ER because that bill is always such a surprise. So I'm just going to kind of let it ride. And, you know, money eliminates all of that chatter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me look at some of the comments. Randy said, I'm going to pop this one up on the screen. Randy said, you have to instill a strong work ethic and remember that barriers are necessary to becoming strong. So I totally agree, right? Barriers are necessary to becoming strong. Like your kids still need to work. Even if mom and dad have money, they still need to participate in the family business. They still need to run up against that brick wall of how do you manage other people? How do you talk to people? Um, how do you still stay level-headed even though you have money? So I, I totally agree. And Kat, you should be able to see these comments as I pop them up, right? I am. I do see them. Awesome. Then we got Layla who says, for kids of privilege who are very intelligent, you also have to teach them how to fail and how to learn from it. Um, I agree. And, and when you think about kids of privilege, they usually fall harder because there's these expectations on them, right? So people people think they're superhuman and they don't fail. And so you also have to teach them how like to fall in the public. I think about the Kardashians or something. Like when they fail, they fail on the big stage, right? Inside the yep. tabloids, the public eye. And so sometimes it's even harder for you know children of quote unquote privilege or that, that come from money. Well, have you ever heard of um, Sarah Blakely's dinner table? Her dad used to go around the dinner table every night and say, what did you fail at today? He didn't say, Ooh. what were your highs and lows? And she's like, and we had to come up with something. And we had, you know, and every time we said, oh, I failed at this, or I didn't make the team, they'd go, yay, and they would <laughs> cheer around the table. And I mean, she's one of the first self-made female billionaires. And it's just, just the grit. It's just the grit. And if you, you know, don't know, celebrating who, the failures. And Sarah Blakely is the founder of Spanx. So I know all the ladies know, but for the fellas, we're not wearing Spanx. But that I is know. the founder of Spanx. They do make men's Spanx shirts, though. Oh, do they? Okay. <laughs> Self-made billionaire, right? But so, so what's important about that is. It's reprogramming how you were thought or taught about failure. You see what I'm saying? Because 
people think that failure is a bad thing. It's like, I love Michael Jordan's quote. You know, he says, I succeed because I fail. And you, I, you remember that commercial with Michael when it's like, he was like, I took, again, don't quote me on the statistics. Yeah, all the numbers. But he was like, I took, I missed 10,150 shots. I missed 730 game winning shots. I missed 32,000 dunks. Like he, I don't know what the, he ran through all these numbers. And yet he is the greatest basketball player in history of all time because he has failed so many times, more times than anybody else. And it's just, he got it. At least that commercial got it. You know, Nike or whoever put that yeah. together. Nice copywriting. Good right, right, right. Whoever was the copywriter on that is is so important because people think like in the stock market, they were like, how do I not lose any money? I'm like, no, you need to learn how to get back up after losing some money because you will lose some money. How do you keep them small? And how do you keep your winnings big? But losing money is part of the game. And it breaks my heart when people come into my field and they lose some money. And, and some of the words they say, which this, this will be an interesting transition. I'm curious if you have some of this in your field. What are some of the self-doubt words that people say? Because people will come into my field and maybe they place their first stock trade and they lose money and they say, you know what, this, this isn't for me. And I'm thinking... That breaks my heart. So, so had you made money the first time, it would have been for you. But because you lost money, which you really didn't lose, you paid for a lesson, right? Perfect reframe. You paid for a lesson, but people don't see it that way. They say, I'm not good at this. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you're not good at this? Like, do you go... Do you go to the grocery store? Like, have you ever lost a $10 bill before as a kid to an adult? You ever misplaced the $10 bill? Have you just said, you know what? I'm not good at this. Just yeah. never going to use cash. I mean, right? Like, you ever lost your car keys? You ever just say, not driving them anymore. I'm, I'm not good at this. But, but when it comes to the stock market, we do that. We lose some money or something doesn't go right. It's like, I'm not good at this. And it breaks my heart, right? Or, um, you know, of course, of course, this worked for somebody else, as if we all didn't come through the same birth canal or get cut out of somebody's, you know, midsection if it was a cesarean, right? Like, we all came through the same birth canal. Like, none of us fell out the sky like the Terminator, right? It's like, <laughs> of course, this worked for him. <laughs> so, like, what, what do you see in your industry when it comes to, like, trying to get out of debt, trying to take control of your personal finance in the the, the negative self-talk that people tell themselves? Well, I think a lot of it gets rooted in childhood and there's a ton of like, I'm, I'm just a shopper. I've never been good at saving money. Um, when I try to teach people that one of the best ways to get out of debt and to fix your financial situation is to make more money. So I try to teach people, here are a bunch of different online business ideas or people will message me and say, Kat, like I really want to do what you do, but I, I'm too shy or I'm not good on camera or I'm not like you and I'm not like this. And someone emailed me last week and said, I've always wanted to start a fitness Instagram and I want to make money from it. But should I wait until I've lost all the weight so that people want to watch me on Instagram? Like, would that make me more successful? And I'm like, it's the opposite. People want to see the journey. They want to see the setbacks. Same yeah. with debt-free journeys. That's why there are so many debt-free accounts on Instagram. People love to watch the journey and they love to know that they're not alone when you're like, well, I didn't stick to my budget this month or I spent too much or like we were talking about last Monday, messed up our taxes a good bit. You know, that, you know, it's normal. And so, yeah, I think there's, at least for me, with the women I help, there's the cult of perfectionism. Everything has to be perfect before I start this. My budget, once I start it, has to be absolutely perfect. I can't make one mistake or else that means I'm bad at money. Uh, and I can't do this and I can't get out of debt. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist myself, so I understand. Um, but I really try to drive home. It's like it, it's nobody's perfect. It's You're never going to have a perfect month, perfect budget perfect launch. It just, 
it kills me to say it still, but it's like B plus work is like better than most, you know? <laughs> right, right. Maybe, maybe even I'm C plus work. That still. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but something you said that's very interesting is that like people, when we, when we make them, when we make what, first of all, people want to be along for the journey. So let's, 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 let's unpack that a little bit because People say, once I get out of, or they'll say something like this, once I do this, then I'll start investing. It's like, no, 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 no. You need to show the entire process and start it right now. The good, the bad, the ugly, right? Even if you're going to make mistakes. And I think what happens is sometimes we're, we're really, we're really just afraid of what our friends and our family are going to think. So that's, that's where the word perfectionist comes in. It's usually an excuse because of something deeper. I don't want to be judged. What if this doesn't work out? Right. And so I'll, I'll start it when it's perfect, when the time is just right, which it never, the timing is never just right. Okay. But people trying to be perfect are really just trying to avoid the real issues that are deep down inside. What are my friends going to think? What if I'm a failure? What if it doesn't work out? What happens if I try it and I fall and Johnny says, I told you so, right? But here's what people also don't know. Most of your friends are secretly hoping you go for it. Yeah. Because a lot of times what your friends really aren't saying is that they like this stupid. Why are you go get out of debt? It's fine. Live your life. What do you want to invest in this? That doesn't work for anyone. What you don't know that they're really saying is, oh, if this worked for him, can he show me? Right. <laughs> right. Like if he get out of debt, that means it's hope for me because we both came from the same school or the same neighborhood. Right. We got the same amount of kids. They don't necessarily say that. So there's always two sides to that coin that you're scared to flip. And one side is secretly typically rooting for you. Ever, you ever like I've seen this sometimes. I don't see it that much. I don't, I don't talk to a lot of people who I used to talk to, so to speak. But I've run into some people who like they weren't that kind to me. But then as soon as you start making money, they say, you know, I always knew you was going to make it. I'm like, did you? Because you was definitely not supporting a brother back when I had to move back home with my mom's. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always knew you was going to. So but I, I took a step back and I realized, like, what they really mean is, like, they didn't know when you were going to get there. But they knew that if you never quit, you was going to eventually get there. And like these people are secretly rooting for you. And you just don't know how many lives you're impacted by putting yourself out there imperfectly. Because guess what? That gives the next imperfect person an opportunity to put themselves out there. You know what I'm saying? Hey, if, hey Kat, you tell them, if people knew before we went live, we was like, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, we're not going to use that. things happen today. Right. They, they have no idea what goes on behind the scenes before we actually go live. Is And I'm not going to point out any imperfections in this live stream, but trust me. Um, and speaking of, I'm going to go get my computer charger right now. Speaking of being imperfect, I'll right? be right back. So cool. So, I mean, I mean, just like that, she has to leave, go get her computer charger. It's a good time to segue into some of the, some of the comments, but it's like some people would be like, Oh, I didn't have my charger ready and I had to go um, interrupt the live stream. It's like, listen, I was trying to reach for it. I knew it was close, but I'm like, <laughs> I got to look down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got it <laughs> and the, re the reality is, though, is we're so committed to getting this content out here. We're so committed to talking to people about money, about finances and about bringing awareness to our brands so we can help people that. We're willing to need a charger in the middle of it. We're willing to, you know, go through the bumps and the bruises, even though it's not perfect. But what I love is as people continue to watch this, though, they're going to be like, oh, they started off this way. Oh, by the time episode 10 or 20 got here, look how sweet they are. They're bringing in this, bringing in that. They're doing interviews and clips and audio. And so what's cool about not being perfect is people also get to see the progression. 
And I love that. I love when I go back and see somebody I respect and I'm like, oh, they used to fumble over their words. Oh, his camera used to look bad. Oh, his audio wasn't that great. I'm like, yes, you got to remember this is not where they started. This is where they're at now, but this is not where they started. Uh, let me bring in Beatrice's comment back. She, she brought it back to the good habits. She said, build good habits. Disciplining yourself isn't always fun. Having kids practice good habits such as dishes, cleaning, yard work, etc. Good habits often roll into other areas such as money habits. You know, Beatrice, I think one of the cool things about talking about having kids do like yard work and stuff like that is it's not that you're trying to teach them hard work, but you're trying to teach them teamwork too, right? Would you agree, Kat? It's like, this is our house. Let's take care of our house, right? With dishes, laundry. And I think that goes back into building that respect for the family name. Like people don't come to the brown household in the grass not cut. And so you want your kids like people don't come around here in the brown's house in the grass isn't cut. People don't come to the Alfred house and our dishes are everywhere, right? Because when your kids have that sense of pride, you don't have to tell them, go get the dishes. They know people don't come to the Alfred house and the dishes aren't done. That cat's like, they don't know that yet because they left their dishes out. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, I think and one thing that I like to do is I I kind of learned this from another mom is doing some things with them, because if you sit back and you're like, all right, go get the vacuum, go do that. And you're kind of like a lady of leisure and you're making them do everything. They resent that. But if you're like kind of, hey, if, if the three of us do it together, I say three because my husband works a lot, but he's a very good folder. But, um, you know, the three of us get in there, it'll go faster and then we can play or whatever, you know. Yeah. And so that goes into that advice. teamwork, right? It's not like you do this while I sit back and hang out. It's like, no, we're family. We're a team. Yeah. And sometimes it's cool to show the kids that even if they're doing maybe some of the I don't know how to phrase it, right? Work that they may think is not fun. You might say, well, that's because mommy's working right now to pay the bills. Now, if you want to swap roles and you want to make multiple six figures, let's swap and I'll do the dishes. And I think if fingers ready, (laughs) right? If you want to write some blog posts, talk about money, budget, like we can swap. And I think too, your kids in those moments may realize like, Okay, I can't do mommy or daddy's job, so let me do the job I can so that they can continue doing the job that only they can do, at least at this point in their life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. So J.D. Gleck says, Jason, do you think college helps you develop the money markets mindset? That's a great question. Um, I, I say for me, what college taught me like everything I learned in college, most of it, I w- if I had to give it a percentage, 90% of it, I forgot. I'm just being real. Like, I don't remember what was taught in English class. I don't remember a lot of different things. But the 10% that I do, well, 90% is memorization. And once you take the test, it's gone, right? So that's one portion of college. The other portion of college, right? So if college was split into like 200%. is memorization, passing stuff, 10% of stuff you'll just keep with you for life. How to count money, how to budget, how to do some accounting, right? Debits and credits, right? That's why they call it a debit card. Some stuff you just keep with you. The other half of that 200% is all life skills, right? So like 100% is like book skills, then the other 100 is life skills. And for me, what college taught me was more life skills. College taught me how to stay up all night and get something done if I'm committed to it. College taught me how to get through the moment. I had to get through that class, get through that period of time. College taught me that there's a party tonight, but I got business to handle, so I had to sacrifice fun for a longer-term goal. College taught me that just because you fail something once doesn't mean it's over. You take it again, and you fail it again, you take it again. College also taught me by failing something twice that sometimes it's the teacher, and it's not you. I switched up and got a different teacher. I'm like, all of a sudden, I like statistics, right? But the first two teachers, I'm like, man, why were they explaining it like this? This is horrible. So sometimes it teaches you that had I just quit and said I'm no good at statistics, like, no, 
I didn't have the right teacher. So college taught me a lot of different life lessons that I bring over into how I look at money, right? When I look at the stock market, I didn't say these people are so smart. I said, they know something I don't know. But if I can find out what it is, then I can have what they have, right? And then when I lost money, I said, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just, I know what doesn't work. So I still got to still find out what does work, but at least I know what doesn't work, right? And that's going in recklessly, not paying taxes and just buying stuff randomly. So I think school taught me way more than book knowledge. It taught me life skills that I would never, you know, I would still go back to school if I could or if I needed to today. So how about you, Kat? School? Yeah, I have to agree with you there. You know, the first day, so I'm from Louisiana, and the first day I moved into college, I was going to Tulane in New Orleans, I put all my books down, my mini fridge, everything, and the same day, New Orleans evacuated for Hurricane Katrina. Mm. And I never went back to that school. I transferred and transferred again. And honestly, a lot of what it taught me was adaptability, that you could be like totally plopped out of a situation and put it into a totally different place that you had planned to be at or, you know, told all your friends and family you were going to. And, you know, I I transferred to LSU for a little while, much bigger campus. That's where I met my husband. And I think a lot of, yeah, I can't remember tons of like book lessons and things like that. But I remember it was really some of the first time having to be on my own, having to make sure that I was taking care of myself mentally from from dealing with um, this traumatic event that obliterated my home and where I came from. And and then I, I transferred again because I wanted to go to a smaller school and all it was kind of chaotic. But in a lot of ways, it prepared me really well, because for the last 10 years, I, I've moved like every two years. Michigan's the longest place I've lived since that day I put my stuff down at college. So uh, it really prepared me well that you go to different places. You have to make friends. You have to put yourself out there. And um, maintain all of your work and your studies as different events are going on. Because as you find when you're going through work, you're building a business, you you have to keep working even if your personal life is kind of messed up at that moment. So I'd have to agree with you. I've never really thought about it like that. But lots of life, lots of growing up in those four years happened for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And And if you think about it, Hurricane Katrina literally prepared you for COVID-19, right? All these years later, because what you're really saying is that things can happen that are totally out of your control. And it wasn't because you were a bad mommy, bad wife, bad person, had nothing to do with that. It was just, it's just nature. It's just part of life. And you still have to figure out how to make it work, how to pick yourself back up and, and, and get towards your goal, regardless if there's a hurricane, tornado, pandemic, um, you know, another real estate bubble, whatever the case may be, life is going to happen. So I, I love that you brought that up because so many people will take that as an opportunity to do what? Blame the government. Right? Yeah. It's their fault that Katrina came and they should have gave us more financial aid. And, and you quickly realize, like, nobody owes you anything in life. You still have to figure out how to, even when you're shortchanged, how to make big money out of a dime and a nickel, even though they shortchanged yeah. you, right? Yeah, it's it's basically understanding that as much as all of us love to try to control things and plan things out and have this five year plan and this 10 year plan, it's life doesn't work like that. And it was good for me to learn that at 18 because um, now, you know, my 30s, it's kind of like, all right, here we go. It's another thing. Okay. <laughs> I re- I kept saying around COVID, it feels like it's the hurricane feeling. It's the feeling of like knowing something's coming, but not being able to do anything about it and just doing your best to like board up your walls and protect all your your windows and your glass from getting blown out by the wind. And it's like it had that same feeling of like foreboding, but it was a familiar feeling to me. And I saw my parents like get through it and take care of 
their kids and make sure we all got to where we needed to go. School's important. You got to just go to a different school for a little while. And so for me, I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to be teaching my kids some kindergarten stuff. I think that was very interesting. You said knowing something's coming and boarding up your windows and knowing there's nothing else you can do about it. It's like it's coming. It will be here. I just all I can do is board up the windows like, wow, I, I think about that and I say, that's why I'm like, love this money game, because I want to be the person that knows it's coming, boarded up my windows, but also got a couple million dollars to buy all the businesses that I know won't survive, but that I can come back in and employ people, give them jobs, help rebuild that neighborhood. And that's that's what making this money is all about. It's not just, oh, I want to buy some new clothes, cars, stuff yeah. like that. But to know that you're in a place Right. I think about our business, our business during the pandemic has been booming. Right. Because everybody wants to learn about the stock market. I mean, people want to learn before, but they really want to learn now. And so, like, you know how good it feels to be able to keep your team members employed throughout a pandemic? You know how good it feels to still what's I'm trying to think, you know, we, we, we're looking at new windows for the house, different things like that. Do you know how good it feels to be part of. And, and no disrespect to anybody who's struggling right now, who's laid off. I understand that side. But what I'm saying is, man, you got to fight hard to get on the other side to not only be one that's OK during the pandemic, but also be one of the people that's assisting in the recovery. One of the people that's still spending money, buying things, still keeping people employed because you handle your business on the financial side. It feels so good to still be living in abundance and not have to come to the team like, hey, guys. And if I had to come to them, I would have. But it feels good to not have to, to be like, we're actually hiring right now. <laughs> right. Um, well, and it says a lot about you and how you run your business. And I think it gives you a lot of credibility because one interesting thing that I think most people are realizing now is that businesses that they thought were like solid and on point. It's kind of like, um, I heard someone say this phrase, it's like, you don't know who's actually skinny dipping until the tide goes out. Right. You know, and so all these, a lot of these businesses that looked like they were in amazing financial shape, well, it turns out they're millions of dollars in debt and they're way over leveraged and they, they're laying off tons of people. They, they did not have a good cash position. And it's been really interesting to me because like, you know, that even, you know, that people walking around, like they all look like they're doing okay, but at least half of them are not. So we got to see that on a business level. So I think it says a lot about you and how you run it, that you were able to keep the ship going. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, one of the things, one of the things that I pride myself on and just being totally transparent here. Because I said, if I ever get to this side, I'll try to share some of the secrets. I don't even think they're secrets, but people like the word secrets. So I'll share some secrets. (laughs) Uh, But I think some of the biggest secrets, because, you know, I made money before and I lost it, had to move back home with my mom. That was the best thing in the world. Because guess what? The tide went out. And I was skinny dipping, right? So to speak, right? He's like, he's swimming naked under there. And, and naked just means you're off guard. As long as everything stays well, nobody will know you're naked. Well, what happened this time around, it, it, I shared some of this in my story last time. When I was making half a million dollars while I was still working my job, guess what I was doing with that money? We paid off all debt. We paid off our cars. Like I drive a Jag, no car, no. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying... There's just no car note. There's no credit card debt. There's no student loan debt anymore. Couple of little small payments left on the house, but it's like, but that's the next thing I'm getting ready to just be like, you know what? This pandemic has me now like, yeah, I'm about to just go ahead and take care of the house. And because I got the money, but I'm like, why spend it? But now I'm like, because if that tide go out, this is, if the tide ever goes out on this family, I always say like, I call it raising your floor, right? So like if I get knocked down and I fall on the floor, this is my life. I want to stay in this house on the lake. As long as I got high speed internet, I can get back in the game, right? I figure something else out for sure. I'm not at a point in my life where I can be like, 
let's all move back in with moms again. And so, so what I'm saying is, guys, you got to take care of your business and then take care of debt. Because when you owe people, it puts you in a compromising position to make longer term decisions when you owe people, right? Like, I'm like, we can go at least two years and we'll be okay before we have to make some serious money again. And so it's like, I got 720 days to think. And you may think that's because I have a lot of money. No, it's the reverse. It's because I don't owe a lot of people. You see what I'm saying? Like, I could go grab the car and go drive Lyft and it's like, we good. Just pay the property taxes and we're fine. You know what I'm saying? So like, And if something happened to you, your wife and your kids are okay. The family will be okay. That's right. By the way, shout out to my wife. I know I don't wear my ring. Because when you work from home. My wife is awesome, you guys. She is so sweet and such a good mom. She's been really great together. What's interesting about this online life is like, like my, I try not to bring my daughter and stuff on camera too much or my son. Because like, there's still a part of you that you like, that's still my private life. Um, and then like when you work from home, your ring, like when you're on a computer, your ring gets in the way, it's heavy. And then you're like, I'm not even going anywhere. Why do I got this thing on my hand sweating? Uh, but anyway, shout out to Audrey, shout out to the wives, the husbands, all the people that support us behind the scenes. Shout out to my man. I'm not even going to say his name. Cause well, I don't know if you want to <laughs> shout out to the <laughs> husband, right? <laughs> I was like, he's not wearing his ring today either because he's operating today. And he was like, I just want to let you know. Right. He's not me and this is why. I'm like, I'm not worried about you. <laughs> so Renee says, I haven't made a lot of money trading. As a matter of fact, I have lost some, lost way more than I've gained. But college taught me um, how to never give up. And as a result, I have two children that are trading stocks. So thank you for, for sharing that lesson. And guess what? You only lose if you quit. Remember, you can write off up to $3,000 of your losses every year until you recoup those losses. So if you lost $30,000, you get to claim $3,000 against your taxes for the next 10 years. So some way or another, you get that money back somehow, if I make it sense. So the only way you lose is if you quit. And so don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. That's my message to people. So we're in the final nine, 10 minutes. What's on your mind? Or should we go to the people? I don't know. What do you, I yeah, didn't want to nice. talk to you about credit cards, but anything that you wanted to bring up or, or talk about? Uh, no, we covered so much good, fun stuff. I, I It was just as much fun, if not more fun than last time. So yeah, we can answer questions if people... Here's a question about credit scores I can answer. Oh, let me pop it up on the screen. I think the one with Douglas... Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. There it is. So Douglas says, I have a credit score in the mid 700s. Will having an 800 credit score make it better for buying a house or am I good right now with 750? Um, the, yeah, I, I answer this question a lot. You're actually should be good with 750. Really, the most competitive interest rates are reserved for people with excellent credit and excellent is 750 or above. When I bought my house, I think I was like at 803 and they were like, we've never seen anyone with this score before. But um, but I, it doesn't make that big of a difference, really, when you're buying a house to get the absolute best interest rate, it's going to come down to your score, but also um, how much of a down payment you can put down as, as well. So you should be you should be good to reach out and try with 750. There it is. Try with the 750. By the way, if you have a question, want to answer it live. Go ahead and type it in and we'll put you up on the screen. If you're watching the replay and you still have a question, we will be hanging out in the comment section so you can still um, ask a question. And me and my good friend, Kat Alfred, will jump in and answer it. All right. KW said all education is important. Education produces confidence. Absolutely. We talked about this last week, Kat, is that if we lost all our money, Right. We'd be fine, not because we're arrogant, but because we know the skills and we have the education of how Internet marketing works, how the stock market works, how budget and finance work, that we will find a way to come back equally as strong, if not stronger. So no one can take it away from you. It's all in here. That's that, the best part about it. And that's how I felt once I got my degree. I said, 
this is an accomplishment, whether I use it or not, no one can take away the fact that I have a bachelor's in finance, like period. It's locked, it's cemented, I have it. And so that's what education does for you, whether it's traditional or non-traditional education. Johnny Rodriguez says, is the money you make from stocks worth taxes you have to pay? Well, this is a very simple answer. Let me ask you this, Johnny Rodriguez. If you made $100,000 in the stock market, had to pay 30% in taxes, which means you got to keep $70,000, would it be worth it? Or would you have not rather had the $70,000 at all? No, I I think that probably answers the question. So absolutely, guys, when you start making money, let me put it like this. I like, if you listen to rap, I like how Drake said it. Shout out to my people living tax-free. Nowadays, it's six figures when they tax me, right? So, like, I'm, I'm not that Drake life. Like, I haven't gotten a refund in years. I'm, I'm happy I scratch a check because that means I'm profitable, okay? The moment I stop cutting checks to the IRS means I'm not profitable in my business or in the stock market. And that's a bigger problem. Right. So I don't wake up and live to save money on taxes. I'll wake up and live to say, how much can I pay this year? Because if guess what? If I pay double in taxes this year, do you know what that means from a revenue standpoint? Not even a revenue. Do you know what that means from a gross profit, a net profit? Forget gross. We're talking net profit. If I have to pay double in taxes, do you know what that means from my net profit? That means more than likely I doubled my take home. What? That's a good problem to have. So, yes, get used to paying taxes, people. Get That's used a to mindset paying. thing. You know, send off, even if you had to pay, you know, $500 in taxes, send it off with gratitude. Absolutely. Know? Right? I mean, I'm so happy to not be on the, like, hope I get 2000 back this year. I ain't knocking nobody. I used to live that life. Yep. I just like this life better. Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's a privilege for sure. It's definitely a privilege. Go and hit the emojis. Make it rain. Hit the like button. By the way, make sure you're sharing this out or tagging a friend who, who needs to watch this as well. Kat, how about you? How do you feel about paying taxes? Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about it. It's taken a while to learn it. And it's definitely taken some trial and error. And I had another entrepreneur friend teach me this because he put on Twitter, like, I'm so excited to pay my taxes today. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, because it's a, it's a privilege to get to write a check this big and exactly what you just said. And so somebody had to kind of teach me to watch my mindset with that. Because if I keep saying in my head, I don't want to pay these taxes. It's not fair. I have to pay these taxes. Well, that's some bad energy that's going to swirl around to my income and my ability to make money. So I just need to like tell, tell the universe, I'm ready to pay. Bring it. I'll write the check with gratitude. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll take it. <laughs> And I, let me know if you agree with this or if you feel this way. It might just be a guy thing. So but, if they don't, I understand. So, <laughs> so I, I feel I've gotten to a point where it feels good to say, like, I owe. Like, you know, like, I'm not embarrassed. Like, I feel like it's almost like pride. Like, oh, you know, I owe this year. Yeah, I owe about. I'm not even going to say the amount, but it's yeah. like. Talking amongst my friends, I don't get online and say this. I mean, I just did. But I'm saying, like, talking to my best friend, like, when we talk about taxes, I'm like, yeah, you know, I owe ooh, ooh, what I'm going to owe this year compared to last. And it's like, it actually feels good. Like, I feel proud. I can't imagine getting on the phone when I'm like, man, it's it's tough out here. I hope I hope I get at least a thousand back. Like, that ain't the conversations we have. It's like, how much you owe? It's like, well, how much you owe? Like, you know, we killed it this year, right? Did you, hey, did you see that new tax deduction they got for working from home or like, or whatever? Because it's like, yeah. those are different conversations to have versus like, how much we getting back? And here we go again. And it's not always fun, but it's fun to know that you are definitely in a different place in your financial life when you owe versus getting a refund, you know? So, oh, do you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> like, yeah, yep. oh, I'm doing my thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, maybe you can help with this one. So Demond says, how did you set up health insurance? I have matched my take-home income 
but I have not reached a level to afford insurance to replace my benefits. I have my thoughts about that. I'd love for you to take that one first, though. Yeah, actually, um, this is the first year I had to buy my own health insurance. And I, I the way that you describe it is definitely a problem for a lot of entrepreneurs. You kind of get to the point where you can replace your income. You're at the solid, like, middle class lifestyle income. But health insurance is really expensive. And um, just, I used to have it through my husband's work. Now I don't. Um, So I just went through the whole process of buying it myself. It's about $800 a month. So it's definitely, you know, that's a large bill. Um, So you'll have to wait until you can afford something like that. Go get quotes. I think we went through a lot of different quotes to figure out Um, what a good balance would be for our family of four. That's for a family of four. I don't know how big your family is. Um, But I knew that that was coming and I saved up a lot um, to be able to accommodate that in my budget. So you're not quite ready to leave your job just yet. You match your take-home income. That's a really good place to be at. But you need to be able to match the take-home income and be able to take home after taxes, after you pay your own health insurance, after you're able to invest in your own retirement. So you're going to need a little bit more than you think um, before you're totally self-employed, which is, I think, what he's trying to get at. Yeah. And if you didn't watch last week's episode, we touched on this a little bit in there, is that you don't want to necessarily just make exactly what you made and think you can walk away from your job. You have to actually outproduce your job because a lot of people don't factor in, they call it the fringe benefits, right? Um, you don't factor in that your employer's matching your 401k. That's free money, right? So that's not money you're taking home in your take home pay, but that's still a financial benefit you're getting. Your employer is maybe taking a big portion of the healthcare out, right? And so again, That's not money you get to take home, but you start to realize when you go out on your own that that is a cost, right? So even though you make 100,000, I'm just using it as a number, you might really make 125,000 a year from your employer when you take into effect your 401k match, your benefits, you know, just all the things. I know when I worked for Comcast, we got free cable. So it's like, you gotta take into effect that I didn't have a $200 cable bill every single month. So that was $2,400 in real, not real money, but intangible value that I would have to pay once I left. So um, that's a good, this is a good place to end it, but you have to think total cost, not just, oh, I made exactly my salary. I'm I'm, out of here. I'm kicking the door down. And I'll say this, if you're matching your take-home salary, this isn't the time to quit. This is the time to now pay off debt Make sure you got no car note, no house note if possible, no credit card debt, no consumer debt. You got a decent sized investment account. Then you can start thinking about quitting, right? So you might, even though you're matching it, you might have another two, three years left in you. And I think people really need to think about that. So any any final thoughts? That's a good milestone matching your take home pay. You're, You're there, but you got a little bit farther to go. Yeah, a little bit farther to go because I can speak from experience. You need your health insurance right now. That's non-negotiable right now. So Yeah, and then for me, my wife still works for the government. So we're on her insurance. But once she comes off, we're at a place where we can afford it individually. But I'm not going to turn that benefit down. (laughs) You know, if she still wants to work and and, uh, put her time in. So, you, you know... That also becomes a thing that's beautiful about marriage or having a partner, too, because depending on what they do, you can take the entrepreneurial journey and then they still work and they bring in the the insurance and you kind of really, you know, help each other out. So those are all things um, that you want to think about. But you definitely want to think about all the costs associated with going full time and doing your thing. So. Man, it has been a blast. I'm amazed how quick uh, an hour goes by. It goes by by fast. (laughs) Yes, yes. I so appreciate my girl, Kat Alfred, for doing this with me on Mondays. Be sure to tune in next week for Money Mondays. You can check her out um, on Instagram. I'll put her website up here throughout. It'll also be in the description, so you can go to Kat's website. And then I saw saw you join the Money Markets and Mindset Facebook group. Oh, I did. I want to see. I want to, I wanted to, to creep on it for a little while. <laughs> so, yes, we're going to be going live inside that group. I think I'm going to be going live personally Friday, just talking about stocks and options and stuff like that. But Kat's in there as well. 
Um, not saying she's going to be replying to everybody. So I'm just saying she's in there. <laughs> I'll right. do my best. And we got a lot of other people joining. So you can connect with us on Instagram, on our websites, inside the Money Markets and Mindset Facebook group. And right here next week, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we're talking money on Mondays. Kat, thanks so much. Any final words? Thanks, Jason. No, thanks so much. Have a, have a great Monday, everyone. Remember, it's the best day of the week. Hey, thanks for listening to this special edition of the Money Markets and Mindset podcast with my good friend Kat Alford. I want to let you know about the Money Markets and Mindset Facebook group. If you didn't know, we actually launched a private Facebook group, which you can join by visiting the brownreport.com forward slash group. Once again, that's the brownreport.com forward slash group, where we continue the conversation about money, the stock market mindset. We also do some special trainings in there and we go live in that group and you get to connect with other people who are interested in bettering their financial position. So visit the brownreport.com forward slash group and I'll see you inside the Money Markets and Mindset Facebook group. Thanks for listening to the Money Markets and Mindset podcast. We hope this episode has been educational and inspirational. To learn more about how to have your money work for you inside the stock market, visit www.thebrownreport.com.